Hello and welcome to I Heard It on a Podcast, our little corner of the Wild West. My name is Isaiah and uh, I have elves in the attic. Elves, elves in the attic? Yeah. Well, Merry Christmas. Thank you. Sounds like a, it might be bad, but it could be good. It is bad. It means you're crazy. Oh, like your attic is your head? Yeah. And you got elves? Elves in it. Hmm. Do you think that you do have elves in your attic? I would not be surprised. <laughs> but you're not self-diagnosing. No, I mean, who knows how the brain works, really? Mm, like you think it could be elves, potentially. Yeah, like the electrical impulses that your brain fires are actually just elves, like, sprinting around. Or maybe the elves initiate the electrical mm, impulses. Yes. They're and like, they're weird. They're weird-looking elves. <laughs> they're like gray tubes of elf. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's just how we interpret elves. I mean, no oh, one's ever seen an elf, true. really. So we think they're like little... Little people that like have colorful outfits uh-huh. and kind of look humanoid, but no, they're really just gray tubes. It's true. So brains are elves, and Lord of the Rings and Keebler are wrong. <laughs> you, you heard it here first. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that's a Swedish saying, and it's uh, in Swedish. It's Tomtar pa loftet. Is Tomtar elf? Uh. Do you know? Does it say? Probably. No, it's not a very scientific. <laughs> There's not like a linguistic breakdown. I might have like a uh, translate button in my Macadoo. Uh, nope. Don't. It only is American. Only American. America. That okay. makes sense. There's also a video that says how to swear like a Swede. So maybe we'll go ahead and do that sometime. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> maybe. Anyway, welcome back to another wondrous episode of I Heard It on a Podcast. Wondrous. Wondrous. It's like a magical winter wonderland around here. It did snow today. Yeah. But it didn't stick around for very long. No. Only in the shadows does the snow remain. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> uh, I don't know how to segue from that, but Casa Bonita got bought. <laughs> <laughs> so we've talked, I think, a decent amount about Casa Bonita. I think we have. Uh, but just a quick refresher. Casa Bonita is potentially Denver's most famous restaurant. Uh, as... Both of us have lived our whole lives in Colorado, in northern Colorado, and we are both familiar with Casa Bonita because uh-huh. it is the stuff of legend. There are cliff divers and a spooky mine that you can go through and endless sopapillas and an arcade. What else am I missing? There's like the pirate cave with lots of booty that's actually just a gift shop. Mm, yeah. How can I forget the booty? <laughs> There's also cheese quesadillas that taste like soap. Yeah. Okay. So the thing with Casa Bonita in the past, pre-COVID, is the food was bad. The sopapillas were endless and decent. And the activities, the experience was what you went for. Right. You went to see people cliff dive. You went to explore the pirate's booty. (laughs) (laughs) Explore it. (laughs) You went for the arcade. You went to see this incredible like warehouse sized restaurant if you want to call it that yeah i would say that it's a um i don't know like a experience that just so happens to serve food right but that whole that that whole vibe is changing right because so i think one of the things that made it famous was it was featured in an episode of south park Mm. years and years and years ago like making fun of it Making fun of the food, making fun of like the just kind of it's a little gaudy, nostalgic, it's a little tacky. 
but yeah, in a good way right it's it's a very interesting like it is what it is and they own it so there was this episode of south park a long time ago it was at, probably 20 years ago now if not longer ago um and they casa bonita shut down because of covid in 2020 their whole like thing was you know cramming people in to a building altogether to watch stuff so that obviously doesn't fly super well. So they shut down in 2020. And I guess something that's cool that they did is they basically told volunteers they're going to keep paying them as long as they like volunteer at like a charity. So wow. they paid their whole staff full time as long as they were volunteering full time. That's super so cool. I was like, that's a pretty cool thing to do. Respect, Casa Bonita. Yeah, respect. But obviously, if you're you know paying your staff full time for a year and a half and not making any money, that doesn't go very well. So there were worries about like Casa Bonita going bankrupt, going out of business, becoming, you know, decrepit. And first off, can you imagine like abandoned Casa Bonita on Colfax? That'd That's be scary. so scary. That's what like horror movies are spawned from. Yeah. But not to worry, Casa Bonita has been saved by, believe it or not, the creators of South Park. <laughs> yeah. Very interesting. <laughs> because I guess they decided to put a bid on purchasing Casa Bonita now, years after they made fun of it, they decided they wanted to, like, it's pretty nostalgic for them. <laughs> now, is it just one, like, writer or creator that so happens to be associated with South Park is putting a bid or is invested financially? Or is it in some sort of direct relation with South Park? No. So, the two creators of South Park are Trey Parker and Matt Stone. And they, like, together purchased the restaurant wow so they like just they bought it and they paid a lot for it i think their bid was 3.1 million dollars so casa bonita is a pricey place apparently that's a pretty good location yeah in denver and it's famous so yeah. you've got that um so yeah so they decided to purchase casa bonita which in itself is already like crazy like that south park basically bought casa bonita but then they decided you know what would make Casa Bonita better? Food that doesn't give you poisoning. Now, I think here is where we're going to have some okay. some conversation. So I read an article today that was talking mainly about the chef that they hired. Yes. I forget exactly who it is, but it's a Denver chef. Dana Rodriguez. Yes. And they are like a James Beard award-winning chef that have a couple of other successful restaurants in Denver already. I think one of them is a Mexican restaurant. There's two Mexican restaurants. Okay. One of them is called Super Mega Bien. Mm. You know it's <laughs> it good if it it's is. like a weird name. Yeah, the name is Super Mega Good. <laughs> <laughs> so, successful chef knows how to make good Mexican food. Mm. But for those of you who have not been to Casa Bonita, here's how it works. You walk in the front door and you get in line of a cafeteria, like literally... When you're in elementary school and you grab the plate and you walk down the line and then you like pick food off of one of those um, hot hot plate tray things and you pick it up and you go down the line and then you pay for it at the end. It's not like a sit-down restaurant. And unless they're going to completely redesign and like have waiters going back and forth and you get seated from the main entrance 200 yards to your table, it's, it's not a restaurant really. If I remember right, I think they've got both. Well, they do have waiters that bring you sopapillas, but that's all they do. 
They just bring just you sopapillas and maybe your drinks. Okay. But they I don't, don't bring you food. Yeah, I don't remember well because we went when I was like nine. I think the last time I went was in eighth grade. Mm-hmm. So maybe they'll do both. Maybe they'll have like... Maybe. Because I'm not necessarily opposed to like the buffet style or like the cafeteria style. Like they could even keep the nasty pink trays. Like whatever. Like if you want to do that, that's fine. But their food was not good. Like... Taste-wise, safety-wise. But that's what... It's it's not unsafe. If it were unsafe, it would have been shut down. There are... There's government regulations for that. It was unsafe when I ate it. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I went there at least... I've been there at least eight times in my life. Dang. Because every year with my band in middle school and I think high school, we would go and play competition, like state competition in Denver. And then we would go to Casa Bonita afterwards to celebrate because mm-hmm. it's a fun place to go when you're sev- in seventh grade. Yep. And so I, I went there like every year for mm-hmm. years. And so I ate the food several mm-hmm. times and never had a problem. You're still here? <laughs> I'm, I'm still standing and, <laughs> and my microbiome is stronger for it. But... I I take issue with saying what there was in the past is bad and we need to revamp and say make good food uh, or bringing better food, quote unquote, to yeah. Casa Bonita will make Casa Bonita better. Because in my mind, like I said earlier, Casa Bonita is not about the food. Casa Bonita is about the experience and you just so happen to get some food type stuff when you walk in the door. That's your ticket in the door. You don't pay admission. It's not like a amusement park where right. you pay a ticket price to ride the roller coasters. Right. You get to watch the 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 cliff divers and go through the uh exploring cave thing as much as you want. You don't pay for that stuff. Your only price is what you pay for your meal. Mm-hmm. Which is an interesting business model. Right. But that's why I saw it as more of a transactional thing. Like I'm here and I happen to be paying for food and that's my entrance fee. Mm-hmm. But then the rest is like the experience. And to to class it up and say, all right, now you have to get a $14 cocktail to start and then a $37 entree. And then maybe you still get endless sopapillas. Yeah. But maybe you pay and you get two sopapillas for $8. And then if you want more sopapillas, you pay another $8. Right. That's not what Casa Bonita is. Yeah. I feel like it could go either way. And I think they'll probably maintain the like legacy of like endless sopapillas and they'll probably still have some, you know, cheapish Mexican food. And I think it's going to be beneficial overall because it doesn't have to just be about the experience anymore. Because if you just want it to be the experience then that's fine, you can do that. But if you want the experience and food, now you can have both win win. Yeah, the uh, the article that I was reading earlier was like, now Casa Bonita can be for the adults too, and the right. adults can drink and eat good food. I'm like, is that all adults really can do is drink and eat food? Like, they can't enjoy the exploring cave? Am I, is that not allowed I as an adult? I enjoyed the exploring cave <laughs> Yeah, and the but, gorilla. But the last time you were there was when you were a kid. If you went there now, having a child yourself, mm-hmm. would you feel weird not going with your kid? Like, if you just went through by yourself, through the cave no it's got like a clearance of like four feet you have to crouch through would other people feel weird about me going (laughs) maybe (laughs) but i'd be fine with it that that probably like brings on a whole other question of like adults enjoying things that are intended for kids yeah because there's like there's a mall in denver 
that has uh, like a play area that's giant breakfast food. Like there's a giant bowl of cereal and a giant bacon. And I want to go like sit on a giant <laughs> bowl of cereal, but no, not no. allowed. Yeah, that would, that would maybe be a little creepy. <laughs> Just a little bit. But I don't know. I, I think I'm kind of sad to think that as an adult, like me becoming a more legitimate adult, the idea of like, now we have fun things for the adults to do is just like to drink. <laughs> like, yeah, that's kind of sad, right? That's what most people like to do. But on the bright side, cool things are coming back. I think our generation isn't content with like just alcoholing our days away <laughs> as adults. Like we don't just want to go and get drunk on wine and complain about our kids. Mm. Because there's like arcade bars that are coming back where you can drink and like play air hockey or pinball or whatever, you know, and there's like cool things to do yeah. while you're drinking. So sure, we're going to drink, but we're also going to have fun while we're doing it and do other things like even sketchy, dubious things like going to a bar where you can throw axes while you're drinking. <laughs> That's what we do. Okay, you're right. I will give Casa Bonita the benefit of the doubt. Mm. I will wait to see what these new owners and the new chef do with it. And I will definitely go and, and patronize patronize, patronize them. I always have to say both to figure <laughs> yes, it out. one of them is wrong. <laughs> to patronize them. And uh, I'll try to have a, a good time. Okay. But I will always have memories of exactly what yes. it was in my mind. And they've got to live up to some pretty high nostalgia standards. Isn't it interesting because like... We have this nostalgic thing and we can be like, oh, well, at least we got to experience it then. And there are people being born now who like won't like Cohen will never experience that. But then that's what like I always thought old people were weird for like all for the having back nostalgia. And, all the just like the back in my day, like it was so much better. And now we're like back in our day, <laughs> Casa Bonita was so much better because <laughs> it was crappy food <laughs> and like. Probably disgust like that pirate cove is probably disgusting. Uh -huh. Right? You like turn the lights on and it's like, oh <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> That's why you don't turn the lights on. Right. Just and like just... the weird, colorful, flashy lights. Yeah. But I think it's okay that it's changing. Mm -hmm. I would rather it change and still exist than it just die. Be be a casualty of COVID. Mm -hmm. Agreed. I'm curious when they're gonna open up again. It'll probably take a little while if they're going to like revamp stuff and like do a whole new menu and mm -hmm. hmm. and it probably does need to like be refurbished and painted and, you know, replace some furniture and stuff like that because it hasn't been used in a year and a half. Right. And it was in mediocre shape before then. Yeah, it was definitely worn down for sure. Okay, well. Oh, here it says. It says they hope to reopen late summer, or early fall, twenty twenty two. So okay, a yearish. I can so, wait a year. Hey Siri, remind me in a year. Go to Casa Bonita. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's move on from. I've added it to remind. She did it. All Yay. right. Speaking of Apple doing things right. Oh, you like that segue? Yeah. Um, Apple announced today, I think, when we're recording on November seventeenth that they are now allowing self-service repair. Really? Mm -hmm. Allowing? Mm -hmm. Well. Like before it was illegal or something? <laughs> Maybe encouraging. They're making parts, tools, manuals, guides available to customers directly from Apple. Hmm. Um, okay. 
Sorry, I ate a Starburst while Riley was talking. It's making it really hard to talk, and it won't go away. But we're getting there. Um, so I didn't honestly expect Apple to do this because for so long they were like against this. Yeah. And I think some of it is probably in, like spurred on because of all of the EU regulations that are coming out now where like they're required to use a specific port, and they have to make devices like last a certain amount of time, and they have to have specific parts that are usable user replaceable um that's in the eu in the eu but in a lot of cases it's easier just to like do a sweeping product change to Mm -hmm. like comply with regulations instead of having market specific devices so this is cool because if your phone breaks up until now your choices for a while were you could either go to an apple store like genius bar and if you had Apple Care, then you could get it fixed for cheap. Or if you didn't have Apple Care, you could pay a lot of money. Or you could go to like a third-party repair store, like a Simply Mac or whatever. And then they could fix your device for cheaper than Apple could if you don't have Apple Care, but you were like using a third-party, and that could have warranty issues depending on if they were like Apple authorized. And then for a while, Apple had just like completely blanket stopped serving like non-authorized repair places. So if you weren't like an Apple partner, then you couldn't get parts or anything. And so this is kind of like an abrupt change for them, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's like, it's a cool change. Basically the way it's going to work is um, they're going to allow access to buying Apple genuine, like first party parts so instead of having to buy third-party stuff, you can buy parts directly from Apple, as well as um, Apple first-party tools, so like tools specific for iPhone built by Apple. Um, and then also you'll have access to be able to purchase repair manuals and have video guides, um, basically everything you need to fix, kind of the basic stuff on your phone. So like the screen, the display, the camera, the uh, lightning port, all of the kind of common things that would fail on a phone battery. And so you'll be able to purchase all these yourself and repair them. And they, it looks like they're starting with the iPhone 12, iPhone 13 models will be the first to have parts and stuff available. And Hmm. then after that, they'll release parts for the M1 Mac books and iMacs. So it's not super like far back. Like if you're rocking like an iPhone eight and you're like, yes, this is going to be great. I can buy a battery and a screen and like use my phone for another four years. That's not going to happen. You have to be on at least an iPhone 12 or an M one Mac, which are both like iPhone 12 came out a year ago. Yeah. Those are M one came out like six months ago. Like I have an iPhone 10, which is less than three years old, I Mm -hmm. think. And I would like it to last another couple of years. So I, I guess Eventually, like this is a long-term solution, assuming that right. they keep this policy going yep. for the next, you know, for for the foreseeable right. future. Which I feel like they will. It doesn't really make sense to kind of phase it in and out. I don't think, unless like profitability-wise. Well, it's got to be less profitable, right? Because you hmm. make money through. I mean, they make some money through the Genius Bar, and like the physical Apple locations. And it definitely is a a money making business model right. to say 
don't fix your devices, just buy new ones. It's terrible for the environment. It's a bad, like, it's, it, it's a bad, like, m- for the consumer yeah. to just say, instead of spending $40 to buy a new part, spend $400 and buy a new thing entirely. But it makes money for the company. So I don't see how it, this could be a financially driven decision on Apple's behalf. Yeah. Here's what I think is going to happen. Just knowing Apple and knowing like how they spin everything to be consumer friendly, but really it's like profit driven because that's what companies do. And also knowing the like regulations required by the EU. I think, for example, let's say you broke your phone on an iPhone 12. So I've got an iPhone 12 and say I just shattered like the front glass or whatever. I think what they'll say is they'll say, hey, don't worry. For 250 bucks, we will send you like the whole display assembly that comes with the screen and the display and the tools you need to like remove it and then the adhesive to like reseal it and waterproof it and you can just follow the guide that we'll send you and it'll be, you know, it'll be kind of a pain in the butt, but you can do it yourself and it's 250 bucks and you just buy the parts from us easy or for $270, just ship it to us and we'll fix it for you. And if we break something while we're fixing it, we'll just give you a new phone. Um, that's kind of the direction I would think they would head in of not having much of a difference in pricing between them repairing and you buying parts to repair. And the reason I think that is because like, even if you buy third party parts, they're still expensive, especially for like the iPhone 12 and 13. Cause the iPhone 12 and 13 have OLED displays, which are like kind of a fancy, I don't even know, like they're not really high tech cause they're not the newest thing, but they're kind of like generally known as the nicest screen. Um, okay. And they only, this size that is using the iPhone are only made by two manufacturers and they're both like Apple specific. Like they only make them for Apple. So even if you buy a third party screen, it came from the manufacturers who are making it from Apple. And so it's the same like price level you're hitting at. And so the third parties can't cut them that much and still be profitable because Apple has like scale discounts. So you end up basically paying the same whether you're buying it from Apple or a third party. So the screens are always going to be kind of in that price range, right? Okay. And the way they work on iPhones is you have to buy the screen, like the display with the glass. They're like mated together and you can't remove them. So if you crack your phone, you basically have to buy a whole new front panel. Those are expensive, I would say, you know, if you're buying third party, 250 bucks. Mm-hmm. But then Apple gets the, the discount. And so they can say, hey, for the extra 20 bucks, we'll service it for you. And they have the ability to like do this very quickly because they've, you know, they've got assembly lines and processes designed for this. And then you also have the added insurance of you like, that's kind of a complex task to take this whole thing apart, peel the screen back without breaking it or breaking something underneath it. Make sure you get up all of the like sealant and then put the new screen on without breaking it, reseal it with like an adhesive to get it waterproof again, close it up, make sure it sits flush and nice in there. Like there's a lot that could go wrong there and it's going to take me a lot longer than $20 is worth to me. So in my opinion, I think this is cool, like a cool move by Apple, but I think for the consumer, it's not going to be as cool as it sounds. So if they already have that like bulk pricing deal and they are saying we are now allowing users to purchase 
parts and guides and have access to uh, all of these things, why would the, why would you still need to buy parts through like a third party servicer? You wouldn't. So this is kind of a bummer for, you know, people who made third party parts or people who are like authorized repair stores, because this is basically going to de-incentivize you from buying third party parts or going to a third party. Unless they were somehow cheaper, which they would, which is not going to be possible. And so really your choices now, if you're smart are going to be do it yourself or take it to Apple. And those are the choices. And there's a lot of places like you break, I fix, or like just, you know, repair places like that, that sure they can do, you know, Samsung's and tablets and whatever else. But a lot of people have iPhones. It's like a Mm -hmm. huge percentage of the market share. And this is going to suck for them because now they can't do anything. Something that's cool and just kind of a general benefit now is part of like the repair process is using specific software to be able to like do things on device to like reset it or enable debugging or what like there's just some things you can only do with specific software and so apple's going to be making that available for everyone so there'll be things that you technically probably could have done before just through software but the software wasn't available and now it will be so that'll be something kind of fancy because that'll be free you can just do software fixes with a software tool and that's something that i'm excited for because that might be something that you would have had to take in and you know pay a 100 bucks to genius bar for them to ship it off and get a new software patch or whatever. And now if I have the software to do that at home, solid, I can just do it for free. But I think generally this is going to hurt third-party repair people a lot because there's no reason to use them anymore, like logically. Right. And the majority of people use third-party repair. Like only only nerds do right. their only nerds do any sort of tech repair, especially tech repair on a device so complicated and designed to be unrepairable as right. Apple. Like they're not going to change the design of the iPhone to be more accessible right. because of this. Right. It's still going to be sleek with no screws or access points or like access to the battery or anything right. like that. So it's in my opinion for the majority of people it's almost inconsequential except for making it more inconvenient to make changes to or to 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 fix your devices yeah cuz it's not necessarily going to be cheaper for the user to make fixes but it is going to be more inaccessible to take it to a simply mac or a you, you break, I fix, right. or things like that. Because yeah. those will probably be unable to fund fixing or justify fixing Apple right. devices. Right. Yeah, and I think like you're right. They're not going to change the design unless they're forced to by regulations to be more like user serviceable. And I used to do this like when I was 15 as like a business. Like I would buy broken iPhones and iPods on eBay and then... You know, usually the battery was bad or the screen was bad. And so I'd buy parts, like third-party parts, off of eBay and, you know, put them back together and sell them as, like, a working iPod. And I made some decent money, but it was hard back then on, like, you know, the 3G iPhone and the second-gen iPod Touch or whatever. 
and now they've gotten even more like compact and there's way more happening in them and i think i can't remember it was either the nine the eight nine or ten the xr um that were designed like unless you had a specific tool that could apply like a lot of heat in specific spots that was basically specifically made for the iphone you literally couldn't take the screen off without snapping it in half because it was just like so well integrated that if you didn't have this tool that like on these specific spots heated the adhesive to melt it so that the screen could be pulled off with like a suction cup arm you literally couldn't wow. take your phone apart so that's kind of the level we were at there of like and that's just to save like half a millimeter right, in size right? right and so there's been talk like this is a huge debate now in the eu and like in all of their regulations of forcing manufacturers to change device designs to make them more user serviceable and I'm not sure how I feel about that necessarily um, because sure it's cool to be able to like swap a battery out or like swap out a memory card or swap out a phone speaker that dies and that's convenient and it's going to save you a bit of money but then you also lose all of the like innovation that comes from advanced manufacturing processes because like if you want a modular fixable phone you basically end up with like a nokia right it's just like the battery comes out and the sim card comes out and the sd card comes out and the speaker comes out but it's this thick gross you know plastic phone that's not like technologically innovative and you get to a point like it would be ridiculous to say that oh intel needs to make their computer chips user serviceable in case they break like you need to be able to go in and have the ability to swap cpu cores on this chip yeah because that's no one's going to be like there's two companies in the world that could do that you know and so there's a point where it's like things get technologically advanced enough that you can't expect the average user to be able to work on them right kind of the same with cars now even like there's so much software and like there's so many safety features and so much machine learning going into cars we're at the point where it's like i shouldn't reasonably be expected to be able to work on one if there's all of this software running on the background and there's all these like computers doing processing and stuff like it's gotten to the point where i don't have the tools or the technology or the know-how to do that and if we want to keep that technology progressing we have to eventually be like the average person is not going to be able to repair this themselves I agree with you to an extent that it shouldn't be an inhibitor of technological progress, but I rather than it being a limiter of the technology, I think you also have to consider how many users use this thing. Most Westerners drive a car. Right. And so if most people who drive a car can't, fix the thing that they use every day and most people own one of their own of. To me, that's a problem. Hmm. Regardless of how technologically advanced and how great we can make it. Because that just is fundamentally like inaccessible and creates a lot of demand in one specific place unless we can also get that thing to the point where there's not much need for service. Like theoretically, if we can get iPhones so 
slim and pristine and perfectly in line, they also shouldn't have, they shouldn't have like battery decay and they shouldn't have speakers that crap out. You shouldn't need to replace those things, but they do. Right. iPhones are not perfect. Right. They kind of suck sometimes. Right. Their batteries decay over time. You could argue that that happens intentionally so that you have to throw it away and buy a new one. And there are parts that people want to get in and replace. And so I would argue if you're going to sacrifice user serviceability in the name of technology, make the technology good enough that you don't need user serviceability. It's interesting though, because like you used a car, for example, right? And like the idea of if most people can't do it, then that's a problem. But I would say most people can't fix their car right now. I like yes, the, yeah. The average American probably isn't at that level, and so I would argue like instead of dumbing down products, we'd be better spending our time trying to lift society in their understanding of like how things work and how to troubleshoot things, you know? Because one of them is just handicapping us long-term. Like, if we dumb stuff down for the public, that's not going to be helpful for us as a species. <laughs> I'm not saying to dumb stuff down. I'm right. just saying fix it at the front end. Don't have to make it so that only Apple or only right. Toyota is allowed to fix the thing that inevitably needs right. to be fixed. Just make it so that Apple products don't need to be fixed right. and Toyotas don't need to be fixed if you're going to make them so complicated that only then that company can fix right. them. Which is interesting because, okay, I can think, like right now I would say it's not possible to do that kind of stuff, right? Like everything is going to break eventually. I don't think it's possible to design yeah, a car I, that's never going to What I'm saying is down. not possible right, right now, but if you're going to push it to that extreme right. to say, we're going to sell 100 billion iPhones and only this one company can fix them. Right. You got to make it a pretty good product then. Right. That totally. only rarely needs to be fixed. Yeah, I would agree with that. And it's interesting too because if, um, I'm trying to think of how I want to say this, but like we're in kind of a transitionary stage where like an iPhone can have problems iPhones aren't like indestructible, mm-hmm. but they're also complex enough that they can't be fixed. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> that's not great. So there's, we're in this like transitionary stage in a lot of different areas of technology, I think. And you have to wonder if, is it because of that, like, we can't, like, the company physically can't make it any more reliable? or any more user repairable or is it like malicious is it because they're greedy is it because they're being predatory towards their customers and so thinking like in terms of toyota does toyota make cars that like need oil changes because they want people to come get their car service at dealerships no that's just how cars work right now but it could be argued more that in a like a tech company or a software company it would lean more the other way towards malicious, like you have to have support and you have to pay our support plans and you have to like make sure you have coverage on your devices and like, you know, yada, yada, yada. And so I think there's like a differentiating piece of hardware is a very different thing from software, right? And then there's devices that kind of blend them together. And mm-hmm. so like a car, for example, is at least it was used to be mostly hardware. 
and stuff just broke because when things move around and do stuff, they break. Whereas software theoretically might just work forever. Theoretically. Now there's sure. issues, but those issues aren't necessarily because the software is broken. A lot of times they're like configuration with other things. Mm-hmm. And so then at that point, you're not paying them to fix the software. You're paying them for their knowledge of how to make it work with other stuff. So I think there's kind of a, a discretion there between like, is it a hardware thing that's just because things in this world wear out and break? Or is it something that you're paying for someone else to use their knowledge and expertise to kind of implement for you? Uh, well, and that gets to a whole nother. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, my mind is thought, uh, I'm, I was thinking immediately about Tesla and how they have, right. uh, is it speed governors or some sort of governor that's built in and you like buy software to unlock right. whatever it was. It's everything. Even like, so they've got a premium sound package. Yeah. And all of the cars have 15 speakers in them. But if you don't buy the premium sound package, like seven of them are disabled. So you have all the hardware. Right. But the software has blocked you from using those yeah. until you pay the $1,500 to unlock those speakers. Right, which is stupid. Right. The, the, what they're saying is it's cheaper for us to build everything into this car and and then just like click a button in this software that right. we've also already built and just disable it in your car and then and then send you an email every once in a while and say, hey, remember, with literally the click of a button, we could right. make your sound in your car twice as good. Because we've already built it, right? We've already we've already paid the money. We just want you to pay more right. money for this thing that's already exists. And they've even proved like they've done that before. Like we probably talked about it, but during one of the hurricanes a couple years ago, yeah. people oh, in that man. zone got God, their batteries bad. unlocked to maximum range. Yeah, or maximum range or like more horsepower or something. Yeah, I think it was maximum range, showing that like every car had the same battery cells. They were just software limited range wise. This is a, you might disagree with me, you might not, but this is a situation when I would be fine to like pirate software to unlock my car because I'm like, yeah, this isn't going to hurt you or bottom line. Like no, I was like going to buy it anyway. They already spent all of the money they're right. going to spend. They already built the car. They already bought, bought the software, yeah. paid the engineers. They're just kind of hoping, hoping that you, and I'm, I'm so sure that they, send emails or uh-huh. an, an alert on the dashboard of your car or whatever. Or like a sale every once in a while. Reminding you, yeah. hey, you could unlock more features. Yep. You have more capability built into this thing that you already own. Yep. And I'm sh- I'm also so sure that Tesla is not the only company that's going to be doing no, this. No, 100%. Or it's, already does. We're kind of to the point where software is going to be the big selling point in mm-hmm. a lot of cars. And it's already crazy to me that basically like any car made... In the past, you know, 10 years, I'll say, it's probably not right, but whatever, have like immobilizer chips in them that can be remotely messed with. So like the police can, like if they suspect you for something and you're trying to flee, they can just call the car company and say, hey, turn off so-and-so license plate. And then the company can just deactivate your car and stop it from working completely remotely from their, like, I don't want a company to have the power to just be able to turn my car off if they don't agree with what I'm doing, you know? So it's it's definitely well, theoretically they would need a warrant to do that, right? The, sure, theoretically, and you know, you can say that with anything, theoretically or whatever. But right, hypothetically, I just prefer to not to have that you because know, the police also could just like shoot out your tires, right? But at least that's something that like I have 
some control over. Like I can swerve and weave and dodge bullets, you know? <laughs> okay. So I don't know. I just, yeah, all of the software limiting stuff and all of the like backdoors and control just kind of irk me, I think. <laughs> yeah, I, I also agree. And to wrap up this whole conversation, I will just say, I am not convinced that this is an altruistic decision on Apple's part. And I'm not convinced that I will ever live to see the day that Apple makes just a solely <laughs> altruistic decision just to benefit humanity and say, hey, humanity, thanks for literally giving us quadrillions of dollars. <laughs> <laughs> Here's, we'll do you a solid. Yeah. Here's something to make the world a better place. Right. Yeah, I can agree with that. Thanks for listening to I Heard on a Podcast. We have new episodes on Mondays and Wednesdays, and you can find them right here. Come back for more conversations just like this and send this podcast to someone else who would also like conversations like this, where we get into Apple and why everything is wrong with the whole white world. <laughs> and also how Casa Bonita is coming back. Yeah, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. <laughs> As always, you can reach us at I heard on a podcast at gmail.com. I thought Casa Bonita was going to be part of the everything being wrong with the whole wide world. Well, I'm going changing... to give him a chance. Like I said. <laughs> I like good food. I'm a fan of good food. You, you know lie. that. But Casa Bonita is about more. I'm not going to get on that.